across the UK, across continental North America, and around the world on the internet, by webcast and by podcast. My name is Howard Hughes, and this is The Return of the Unexplained. Thank you again for your fantastic feedback and emails to the show. Please keep those emails coming. Seems to me that the email traffic, mostly from North America now, um, also from Canada, New Zealand, United Kingdom, but the email traffic seems to be doubling every two weeks now, so something is happening out there. I think we're being linked to by various sites, and that's all good news, so please spread the word about The Unexplained. And if you can go to the website, please go to the website. Very, very important that you put a hit on it. www.theunexplained.tv www.theunexplained.tv and the website designed by the fantastic Adam Cornwell at Creative Hotspot in Liverpool. And uh, you can send me email through the site, or you can also make a donation if you would like to. Uh, All contributions gratefully received at the moment. Uh, You may know that I've not been on the radio in London or anywhere for about five months now. I got a hearing problem, uh, tinnitus ringing in the ears after a virus earlier this year, and it effectively grounded me. It's been a very, very worrying time for me with no money coming in, Uh, But the good news is that last week I went to a specialist who said that I am now okay to go back on air, which is fantastic news because I've been on radio all my life doing news and programs and various things. So that is the best news I could have heard. Now the hard part is getting myself a gig back on radio. Uh, That's a a bit of a work in progress. Let's see if we can do that because it is the thing that I have loved most in my life. I will keep you posted as I say. Right, uh, let's just get to a couple of your emails now. I've had so many that I can't unfortunately get to them all, but I can talk about a few of them. Uh, Lots of you suggesting David Paulides as a guest, including Shell and Rob and many others. Uh, We've tried, as I think I said on a previous show, to email him many times. I've tried again twice recently. Uh, No response, but if you would like to put some pressure on him, we'd love to have him on the show. Sharon, thank you for your email. Dave Ketchum, thank you for yours. Scott Modlin in the US says that he thinks I'm the British Art Bell. Well, let me tell you, Scott, I'm very grateful for you saying that, but Art is in a class of his own. I don't think I'm quite in that class, but then none of us is. And wherever you are, Art Bell, if you're in the high desert or the Philippines or wherever you are, a lot of us miss you. Paul Green, thank you for your email. Jeff suggests that we talk about telekinesis. Thank you for that, Jeff. Louis, thank you for yours. John, thank you for your email. James, who's a Bostonian in Iowa, thank you for your email. Kim and Roger Sanders, thank you for yours. Milk, thank you for your email. James Swagger tells me he has a book out. Um, If you have a book out, James, or anybody has a book out that they think we might want to talk about on this show, then send me the details in a, a news release or a synopsis so I can see what it's all about, and then maybe we can take it from there. So, James, if you can do that, And I've had quite a few emails from authors recently who'd like me to feature them. So if you can send me a synopsis, give me an idea exactly what the book is about, and then we can take it from there. And um, finally, as they say, James, rather Justin, suggesting David Graham in Atlanta on the moon landing hoax. Very topical that, of course, we lost Neil Armstrong, who was um, absolutely firm in assuring people that the moon landings did happen. And so was Edgar Mitchell, who I spoke to last year. But there are still people who say, no, they didn't. So we can air that one at some point. All your suggestions gratefully received, go to the website, www.theunexplained.tv. Now, the guest this time is a guy called uh, Rich or Richard Lenny, known to his friends as Rich. He's in the West Country of England, and he's been using night vision technology to look for UFOs. 
and he says he's found them and has some amazing things to tell you about them. Like I say, he's not somebody who is internationally famous, but he is, he thinks, onto something. You make your judgment about him. Tell me what you think we're about to connect now to the West of England and to Rich Lenny. Rich, thank you for coming on the show. That's okay. Thank you for having me, Howard. Now, I've got to say that I'm taking a bit of a walk on the wild side here, but I'm not afraid to do that. Um, you're not as well known as some of the guests I've had on the show, but I think you're doing something interesting there. Whereabouts are you, by the way? Yes, that's correct. Um, Western Supermare. Okay, which is in the west of England. If you're listening in another part of the world, it's it's near Bristol, really, near the port of Bristol. It's a seaside town. That's right. And is uh, is UFO spotting big in Western? Yes, it is. Really? Um, Have you got yeah. a group there? There is a, a small group, um, but um, there's been a lot of activity over the years. All right, and a lot of that um, connected with you too, from what I understand. That's right, yes. All right, well, tell me a little bit about yourself then. What's your background? Do you have a background in science? You know, what got you interested? Right, okay. Well, actually, um, my great-grandfather, uh, Robert William Ditchburn, he was a scientist, and he wrote about nine books on the subject of light. And um, I think that's where I first got into it. And he helped to split the atom with Rutherford, so he was in a, very, a very important person, really, in his own right. I was going to say that name, Ditchburn. I'm sure that in my science classes years and years ago, we, we came across him, I'm sure. That's right. They, they do use his books, and I believe they still do today. Um, and, um, yeah, and he's got a library named after him in Reading, where he lived. So, he, yeah, he, he's, he's pretty well known, I think, you know, throughout the world. So the interest in... Life, the world, and everything, and how this planet works, and perhaps how other planet works, that was there, really. It runs in the yes, family. it was, because he gave me a book, basically, on, on the planets, and it all started from there, um, and I obviously was interested in it before that, but, it, you know, with this book that he gave me, it was a beautiful book. I'll never forget it. I've, I've still got it, and, you know, and, and it sort of went from there. And, of course, the first thing I was thinking about is, well, is there life elsewhere? And I remember asking him the question, and um, he, I remember him saying to me that somewhere out there, there is definitely, you know, another form of life. We can't be the only ones. And I presume, like any young person, I know that it was certainly the case for me, when somebody says something like that to you, it fires off an interest and you want to know more. That's right. Absolutely. And then, of course, I came across the books, you know, um, flying saucers uh, in space and so on and so forth. And then, of course, you've got the movies. And then in 1980, December, I had my close encounter, um, which basically kicked everything off, and it went from there. And that was in Uphill, which is two miles from mm. Western Supermare, which is where I lived at the time. All right, you've got to tell me about that, 30 okay. years ago. Yeah, and funnily enough, I've referenced it to the same time as the Rendlesham incident. Whether it's the same craft or not, obviously, I'm not sure of, but um, 6 o'clock in the evening, uh, Uphill is a village, by the way, I uh, got off the bus from work in town, went r round the corner to where I lived, and above my school, uphill primary, um, there was these seven dots of red light in the distance. So I thought, oh, aircraft coming towards me, I'll have a look at this. So I waited and waited, and they got closer and closer, but there was no sound. Uh, the lights got bigger, and they were red, by the way, not white, which was unusual. And of course, being as it was December, it was dark. And, of course, if, if they were navigation lights on a plane, we have to say that one of them would be white and one of them would be red. That's right. These were just solid red lights um, in, in like a sort of an arc. And, uh, yeah, they got really close. In fact, they got to the stage where they were literally above the school. And then they stopped. Now, at this point, I did have a witness because my other friend got off the next bus and he came around the corner 
And he said, hi, Rich, what are you doing? I said, well, look at this, Glenn. And he looked up, and together we watched. And the outer two of the formation of seven went up, um, I don't know, it looked like sort of several feet into the air. And then they went round into um, a semicircle, and then they came back down again into the formation. The other five stayed where they were in, in the arc. And then all seven of them went on, and they went right over our heads. And as they went over, I looked up, and it looked as if they were connected, you know, as if it was one complete craft. I could see some sort of structure there. Now, this formation story we've heard before, um, are you sure that you weren't influenced perhaps by something you read? No, absolutely not. I just finished work. Okay, maybe been a bit tired, but I was, you know, still awake. And um, the only thing that was a bit unusual about all this was there was no one else around. At six o'clock, you thought, well, you see another car, maybe another bus, some people walking. It was just Glenn and me, and that was it. Do you think that whatever it might have been, and, you know, there might have been a, a rational explanation for it, I guess you haven't found one so far. No, I haven't do you, found one But do you so think far. it was trying to, right, to right. let you see it? Yeah, well, I did do some references on this, and that particular weekend, I can't remember what the day was. It may have been a Monday, Tuesday, but I know on the Friday, our Western Mercury came out, and one ball of red light was seen flying around Western Airfield. Okay, so the local newspaper reported something. Right, but they only saw one. And a friend of mine later on said, yes, I saw it as well, because he lived in Locking and it was near the airport, and he saw it flying around. In fact, he was scared. He ran indoors. But they all only referenced one, whereas Glenn and me, we saw the whole seven. But we have to say that where you live is very near Bristol, and anybody who knows Bristol knows that a lot of work was done on Concorde, and aviation has been very big in that area for years. So how do you know it wasn't some kind of military aircraft? Yeah, that's true, but there was no sound. Um, it went rather slowly, but then as it went past us, um, it shot off real quick, and then it was gone. And when you say real quick, we hear stories from people, I've had them on here, mm. who say these, these things go at speeds that you perceive in the sky that no plane could do. That's right. Well, it, it, it did go off real fast. I mean, it was, you know, I would say probably about the um, same speed as um, a jet, but uh, like um, a Red Arrow jet or something like that, you know. It wasn't, like, amazingly fast, but it was fast enough. It went... But the thing was, there was no sound. Um, and that basically was, the, I think, the, the niche, you know. That's what mm. started me thinking, OK, there's something going on here. Because not too far from where you live, I can remember going on holidays in Wales, and certainly in mid-Wales, which is, what, maybe 80 miles north of where you are, mm. uh, the RAF still do low-flying exercises, but they make a hell of a lot of noise. They are, and I remember seeing those, actually, when I was out in the car. You remember seeing the Jaguars and, and the Harriers, and, and that, that's correct, yeah, and they would do um, low, low bombing runs, and they'd, they'd use telephone yeah. boxes as targets. That's right. But this is something that couldn't have been that, you say, because it was no. very fast and very silent. Yeah, very fast, very silent. But to begin with, it was also very slow, and they even hovered. And, of course, when they were hovering, I thought, well, they, they must be Harry Jump Jets. But, of course, there was no sound, no nothing. And uh, Glenn and me looked at each other and said, what was that? But when we did get back home, I mean, I was literally a minute away from my house, by the way, from where this was. And I remember my, because I live with my grandparents, I remember my nan saying to me, Richard, where are you? You've been late. And I said, well, yeah, we watched these UFOs. I called them UFOs. And she said, well, your teeth are all ruined, and, and I thought, well, I couldn't have been that late, surely. So, I don't know, I can't, the only thing is I couldn't reference the time. All I know is I remember saying that my tea was ruined, and, you know, my tea sort of ran about six-ish, and uh, so I don't know how long we were gone for. No, you haven't told me exactly how old you were then, I don't think. Okay, right, well, we're talking 1980, Christmas, and now um, my birthday's in July, I'm now 50. All right, so you, so, were, um, so you were late teens. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you're of an age where so I was like, you're, you're less likely to make stuff up. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. Did you tell people about this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I told my girlfriend. I told everybody. I told people at work. And then, of course, it came out about uh, Friday in the Mercury. Absolutely. I've, I've told quite a few people. There have been a couple in the village who I remember saying, uh, they remember saying to me they'd seen a red light flying around. So I can only reference it to the same. But we saw the whole formation. Nobody ever recorded the whole thing. That, that's the bizarre point about this story, is that it's been seen by other people, it's been in the paper, but only as one ball of light, you know, red light. Now, I saw seven, or it looked like all seven. Well, there are different ways to look at these things, and a lot of people have experiences. My own grandmother saw what she believed was a UFO very, very early in the morning, this big silver craft. And it just became a story in the family. She didn't report it to anybody, and it never went any further. No. You know, most people probably would do that. But there are some people, and I'm guessing you're one of those people, you must be, to be talking now, who have a, a passion for the thing fired up at that point. That's right, and that's what started it. And then, of course, I um, started getting the binoculars and going up on Roman Road, which is Bleeding Hill, which is above uphill, so I'd get higher up. And then I wanted to see these lights again. This is the thing, you see, where are they? I want to see them again. I did see some strange stuff, um, balls of fire, which, you know, can be obviously um, referenced to anything, really. Um, fireballs, which I've seen in the sky quite regularly. Shooting stars, obviously you see satellites that move across a uh, point of light from horizon to horizon. That's nothing unusual. And we've got to say where you are is, is in the West Country of England, right. uh, which, of course, people in the UK will know, but people elsewhere won't. Yeah, we've got the tide that goes out the furthest in the whole of the country. Yeah, you've got the massive Severn estuary there that I think right. they, they want to try and uh, dam off to, to create power one of these days. Um, yeah. Let's see I what happens got, about um, that. I actually got flooded back in 1981. Mm. We had the floods, so I don't remember it, in Uphill, and uh, all the houses got flooded, and we had four foot of water, and so, yeah. It, uh, Amazing area. I mean, it's almost like having a sea there, but it isn't a sea, it's a great big river estuary. Uh, it's, right. it's quite remarkable to see. But where you are is not very far um, geographically from places like um, Stonehenge, really, and Bath, where there have been sightings and experiences in the past. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, so anyway, so it all basically is all stemmed from that. Um, and then, um, of course, what happened was the internet came along um, a bit later on. And then, obviously, I was about to reference stuff from, from that. And then I saw, oh, other people were seeing the same things as me, you know, these red lights in the sky. But they were also seeing other stuff as well. They were saying they've seen triangle craft and they've seen, like, blue lights, green lights, you know. And, and in your area? Yeah, um, in my area, in Bristol, Bath, um, in Western as well and, and around. And I was thinking, well, how come they're seeing all this and I'm not? So I'd, I'd go out, um, you know, a little bit more maybe and, and wrap up and stay out hours um, with my binoculars and, and, you know, hoping I'd see something. And then uh, one day I, I found this gentleman on the internet called Mr. Ed Grimsley, and he had his um, cell phone number on there. I thought, okay, uh, and he can see UFOs through night visions. And I was thinking, wow, that sounds great. Um, so I phoned him up to find out more about it. I was on the phone to him for about an hour lovely chap and um yeah he was basically saying look rich you know you don't want to use binoculars because a lot of the time these um craft they hide in the uh infrared spectrum or they seem to hide from our normal uh vision you need a digital uh piece of equipment to show them up and he said night visions he, d he discovered just purely by chance is perfect for that now is this the kind of night vision technology that you can buy in some outdoor stores yes now? i mean you can get them literally anywhere i mean i purchased my power on the internet but yeah you can do that's right if you go to anywhere um that sells uh, telescopes and binoculars they will also have night visions there 
Um, obviously, in America, it's slightly different. You'll get them in gun shops and places like that. But, yeah, over here, that's going to be the sort of area. But I would say the Internet is the best place. And, and I want to talk to you about something that you told me when we were not recording, um, that there are some kinds of night vision that they can use in America. They're very powerful. They're almost military-grade that officially we're not allowed to buy here in the UK. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. Basically, it starts from Generation 1 and goes to Generation 4, and I believe they have right Generation 5. Now, Generation... I'll go backwards. Generation 4 is military only. You can't purchase them unless you're in the military, and they start about 80000 and go up. Wow. So they're very, yeah, very, very expensive. So even yeah. if you wanted to... Um, you really couldn't, cash-wise. You really couldn't, yeah. exactly. Uh, Generation 3 is what they use in America. That's what Ed Grimsley uses. Now, they start around about $2,200, which is around about £1,500 here. Um, the only trouble is, because they're illegal in this country, like Generation 4s are, unless you're in the military, um, if you try to purchase a pair in America and get them over here, they won't send them to you. Mm. They, and even says on there, they won't deliver to the UK. So that's quite bizarre. But generation. Have you ever asked anybody, and, and I need to do a bit of research about yeah. that, have you ever asked anybody why we're not yeah. allowed to own those yeah. things when they can in the US? I have. Even Ed Grimsley, who's been doing this for years and is a pilot and everything, he, even, he doesn't understand why, why they're um, illegal in this country. Because um, um, it's bizarre, because the Generation 2 and 1s are, but Generation 3s aren't. Well, presumably... Um, it's to protect um, the secrecy and privacy of any military craft that we might yeah. develop that might could operate be. there. Could be. I mean, we're obviously shooting in the dark here, but grabbing for straws, if you like. But mm. yeah, that's what I think anyway. Um, but they've got around this anyway. They've got out a new one now, which is Generation 2 Plus. Now, Generation 2 Plus, and there's also a 1 Plus as well, they, um, they can use them here in this country. They're fine. So a 2 Plus is an equivalent to a 3. I know it sounds a bit complicated, but they're illegal here, and that's fine. And I've used both, by the way. I've used Generation 2 Plus and Generation 3, and to be honest with you, there isn't much difference between them. All right, so when you go out to somewhere without a lot of ordinary light pollution, mm -hmm. uh, somewhere in the country, and there are plenty of places near where you live that are like that, yeah. and you point a pair of good night vision binoculars uh, or some good night vision sights into the sky, uh, tell me, without talking about the UFOs first, what do you see? How is the sky different? It's amazing, because uh, the first thing you notice is you see three to four times as many stars. Three to four times is unbelievable. So mm. if you're just an astronomer wanting to look at stars, get night visions because they are incredible. Um, you just see, wow, you'll see a, blank, a black spot in the sky, which you probably see only one or two stars. You put your night visions up to it and bang, you know, there's just hundreds of stars there. Because it's, that's what they do, you see. They let any, any pinpoint of light that's out there the night visions will obviously show it through onto its display screen. Because when you look through a pair of night visions, it's basically like a mini TV set. So if you can imagine, when I remember those little TVs you spelled by back in the 80s, oh, yes. the screen was like two inches by two inches. Well, this is like three or four inches by three or four inches. And, and basically, you've got this little black and white TV screen inside, and that's what you're looking at. And how do you know that if you buy a, a Generation 2 or a Generation 2 Plus and you look into the sky, how do you know that what you're seeing are things that are there and not artifacts that might be generated digitally, mistakes, errors. Yeah, that's true. That's very true, yes. Um, nine times out of ten, you will, you will see, um, well, let's put it this way, you'll see space debris, you'll see uh, satellites, uh, which we all obviously know about. We'll see bats flying around. But um, So yeah. you can actually see satellites with these? Oh, yeah, very, very clearly. Yeah, you can see them, um, and you see the sun shining off them, and they literally just go right across the sky from um, hemisphere to hemisphere. 
and they go in a straight line. They don't do an awful lot. They all seem to flash every now and again, which, of course, is the sun shining off the, the panels of, of the satellite. But, yes, you will, you will get to see all that beautifully. Um, the ISS, the International Space Station, when that goes over, if, you, if you've got your night visions and that, that's obviously really big. But you don't see any main detail because um, they're not, like, that powerful. They're just basically emitting the light. So it will seem bigger through your night visions and seem a little bit clearer, but you won't see really much detail. And when there have been, like, shuttle missions, when we had the sh- shuttle, could you see anything connected with those? Yeah, we, you know, I don't even remember when they were, they were together. You could see um, a big sphere and then a smaller little one, and, of course, that was the shuttle connected to the space station. So these things allow you, and I, I, did, I must admit, I don't know where I've been, but I didn't, um, didn't know they were this good. They give you a window on a, a whole other, I, I say a window on another world, not really a window on the whole universe. Yeah, they do. And it is amazing. You see, you just wouldn't believe how many stars are up there. It is just incredible. And then, um, so you, you're looking basically through these night visions, you see all these stars, um, maybe some planets as well, and every now and again, something will shoot across the sky, probably a shooting star, you know, meteorite, whatever. Um, and then all of a sudden, one of these pinpoints of light that looks like a star will start to move. And it'll start to move slowly, and then it'll start to speed up, and it'll go real quick. And then it'll curveball, and it'll do like an arc, and then it'll start to dive, and then it'll wiggle about a bit, and then it'll slow down, and then it'll stop. And you're thinking, what was that? <laughs> you know, okay, it wasn't an insect because it stopped and it's still there. Uh, in, and we're looking into space, by the way, now. Okay, we're not sort of, it's not just in front of me. Or- and, and Rich, this, this might be a really silly question, but I'm very good at asking stupid questions, so here it goes. Um, okay. How do you know that this was not a kind of uh, piece of space junk, perhaps a piece of debris from a satellite, an old satellite or a right, previous right. space mission, something that is um, dithering on its way down to Earth yeah. again. Well, we do see those occasionally as well, and we know what they look like, and they've got a completely different... Um, they, they act in a completely different way. I mean, space debris moves around a little bit, and I suppose it can slow down, but these things literally stop completely dead in the sky, and then after a few minutes, they'll start to move again, Space debris doesn't do that. It floats around or it eventually comes down and burns up. All right. Tell me so. the first time you encountered one of these that made you think, wow, okay. there's something cool. else out there. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you. And it was amazing for me. But uh, at the same time, um, I nearly sold them. When I purchased my uh, night visions, Yukon Rangers, uh, they're about 360 pounds. That's what I recommend. One plus. So they're not really expensive. I got them on the internet, and I went outside the back garden late at night, and I started viewing the sky. And for three weeks, I saw nothing but stars, obviously, satellites and shooting stars, and that was it. And I was just about to put them back onto eBay to sell them when uh, three massive red big flying saucers flew over my house, and that's exactly what it was. Hold up, flying saucers, you mean so discs? Classic, the classic flat, you know, discs. Three of them in like a diamond shape. They shot right over my house. I mean, when I say right over my house, I mean, they were high up, but they went over. And um, I was blown away by that. I thought, wow, that was amazing. Um, So I waited in the same sort of position, the same sort of area. They were, by the way, they were flying from uh, south going north. And uh, about, uh, I suppose, 20, 25 minutes later, they went over again. I don't know if it was the same three or another set of three. We're talking about 3 o'clock in the morning now, so it was the middle of the night, it was cold, it was winter, you know, there was no one around, it was silent, 
it was a crystal clear night and I saw these three craft and they looked huge. So how big they were, I don't know, but I think they were probably a couple of miles across at least each. Um, and then as uh, the sun was coming up, so it was getting on a bit, I mean, I stayed up all night. Uh, the birds were starting to sing and everything. It was a lovely crisp morning. They went over again and I, I was able to still see them because it wasn't totally light. And the last time they went over, they were chasing, or looked like they were chasing, the classic, which I call the Mexican hat-style UFO, you know, the, the mm -hmm. disc with the bobble on top. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just, uh, it just blew me away. Unfortunately, I don't have any video footage of that. Oh, you said that these things that were huge, and mm -hmm. I think I heard you say two miles across, well, you thought. to be. I think um, they were... Because but they were very like, big. They were very big. They were very high up, so they must have been a couple of miles across each. And you say there. that there was some kind of chase occurring. Yeah, the third time they went over, they, they were... Because the first thing I saw was this Mexican-style hat UFO, you know, the classic one with the bobble on top. That went over first, followed um, very quickly by these three discs. And then, um, and then that was that. So I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to sell them. So I'm going to keep at it because it's obviously like fishing. You know, you can go out for hours or days and not catch anything, and then all of a sudden you'll catch loads of stuff. Um, I phoned up Ed Grimsley again in America and told him what I'd seen. He said, yeah, Rich, I was, you know, yeah, that's fine. Uh, keep at it, keep at it. So um, I did. And basically, I've had them now for about two and a half years, and I've seen so much stuff with them. Yes, I've seen, you know, normal stuff. And yes, I've been out uh, for weeks and caught nothing. In fact, to be quite honest with you, at the moment, it's very quiet. But everyone is saying it's very quiet at the moment. We don't know why, but all throughout the whole world, people are seeing UFOs, but not as much as they normally are. Um, and then maybe one night you'll go out and you'll catch loads of stuff in one night. But we've seen, um, we've seen UFOs chasing UFOs, you know, these craft that fly around the sky and curveball and stop and do amazing, amazing um, maneuvers. They're definitely, definitely intelligently controlled. I'm not saying, you know, there are ETs or aliens flying these things. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is they're definitely not space debris. They're definitely some sort of craft. We've worked that one out. They're definitely intelligently controlled. That is without a shadow of a doubt. Definitely intelligently controlled. But um, what um, I and a lot of other ufologists think is that they're not actually uh, got anybody inside them. We think they're controlled by something else that is maybe further away, like a bigger craft or something. And we think these are like scout ships. They come down and they check out the area and then they fly off again. Like drones. Yeah, because we apparently have craft as well, which is back-engineered, which um, are up there also that we see, and they've got like a little tiny tail to them, and they sometimes chase these spheres away. Now, I don't know if you I, remember... The, hang on, you've just made a huge leap in the story here, and I think we have to explore that. Okay, yeah. You say that you believe that we have back-engineered craft that we are using to dance with these things, to, uh, to spar with them. That's right. How do you know that? Okay. Well, um, first of all, they, they, you know the typical dogfights of, of um, what we see on TV of World, World War, War II. Yeah, World that's War right. There is, I mean, everyone will tell you this if you speak to them about this subject. Yes, it's a classic example of that. And um, I don't know if you know the story about Gary McKinnon, who found the um, off-world list of pilots when he was hacking into the computers well, um, well that, that's what it's claimed anyway. Of course, Gary McKinnon will be known both sides of the Atlantic because uh, we have just decided that he won't be extradited to America now. Uh, any investigation that there will be will be in this country. Mm -hmm. Well, he seems to claim
claim, anyway, I will state that he claims that he found a list of off-world pilots and names of craft, which he cross-referenced to try and find if he could find the same sort of thing here on, on Earth, you know, because he thought it may have been submarines or, or boats or something like that. But he couldn't find these names anywhere. But he found that the pilots were Top Gun pilots. So they were obviously being groomed for something. Uh, and it was an off-world, which is what it was listed Well, of course, this is all conjecture and claims, but fascinating claims. And we do know that stuff goes on that we don't know about. I think we can be fairly sure about that, whether it's this particular stuff. Have you ever tried to contact Gary McKinnon? Right. Well, uh, his mother's a friend of mine. Yes. Really? Um, Yes. Um, I explained to her who I was, what I did. And um, obviously, I can't speak to Gary because he wasn't allowed to go anywhere near computers. Um, But Janice was on there on his behalf. We have to say that all of that is going through the process of legality exactly. now, exactly. and Janice Sharp is, um, from what I understand, having talked to her, you know, a good mum, yeah. and I guess she's telling you what he's told her. Yeah. But it's interesting that you had that contact, so mm-hmm. you think that you've connected with something, yeah. something similar, really. You've discovered something similar. That's right, Howard. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Do you know what I mean? This is all I'm doing. This is how I've become what I am now. Um, I'm trying, because I've been a ufologist on and off for the past 30 years, but I've just gone into the mainstream, into the public eye this last 18 months, because I want to get the truth out there, because there's definitely something going on out there. There's stuff that I can't explain that I've seen. But what's come out of our conversation so far is that you've seen things over a period of years um, using technology, some of which is just on the fringes of legality in this country, but it is legal. You've seen things that make you think and other people that you've talked to think that there is some kind of conflict or some kind of standoff, like the Cold War, going on in space. Mm. And then um, it got to the next stage, where Ed Grimsley uh, said he was going to come over to England. So I said, well, look, come and stay with me. So uh, he came over for 10 days. He brought his night visions over. He brought his Generation 3s over. Did he? Yeah, he did. <laughs> in, his, <laughs> in his whole door bag. And, um, I hope yeah. he's gone home now, because we're telling the world no, 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 that. He's, he's, he's gone home. home now. Okay. He's and, um, and then we went out um, uh, up the hill. Obviously, we got less light pollution, because that's obviously handy as well. And I looked through his Generation 3s, and oh my, wow. And you got this, like, green sort of um, background, and obviously the field of view is so much bigger, because they're, they are so much bigger. And you see absolutely everything in detail. It's fantastic. And as soon as I put them up to the sky, again, I saw even more stars than before because um, it's obviously letting more light in again. And straight away, we saw craft. Um, Ed had his. We had the laser pen, because you use that to point to show where they are. Obviously, you don't fire at aircraft, but we would, you know. Well, I was going to say they've had terrible experiences in many, many countries, including this one with those things. So we're not yeah. really advocating people use those, are we? Absolutely, yeah. But we do use them for our own, you know, personal use when we're, when we're skywashing, when we know they're definitely not aircraft. Otherwise, of course, you wouldn't use them. Well, the, I mean, the problem is that you're not going to definitely know that. So I think we do have to say to people, please do not use laser pointer pens um, into the sky because that is just not recommended. And the other thing I think we have to say, um, because we obviously do this program to broadcast standard, is uh, those Generation 3 night visions are not legal in this country. So please, we are not recommending that you try to get them and you know the consequences. They're not legal. Please don't buy them. That's a fair point also. Okay. Okay, All right. Tell Tell me the rest of the story. Yeah, so um, we, were, we were watching them through the night visions, and um, they, they, were, they were basically, straight away, this one was coming across the sky in a sort of like a 45-degree angle. And then out of nowhere, this other craft came and started chasing it. And you could see that he could see it, obviously, and started to try and escape it. So we've got like a little dogfight going on here. 
and then all of a sudden the one that was chasing it um, fired out like what looked like a little laser line. Um, it looked like it was trying to hit it. So um, and then it, it bugged out. Then it just shot right up into space and was gone. And then the other one um, made a sort of like a, a descent, and then he shot off. So that was really strange. I hadn't seen that before. So this thing actually fired out some sort of like um, it looked like a plasma ray or something. Like a little line came out of it and it looked like it was trying to fire something at it anyway. So and that was new to me. I hadn't seen that before. But obviously through these um, night visions. And all this stuff is happening in the sky over Western Supermare. Yeah, we were over Western Supermare. But don't forget, this is high up. I mean, we're talking in the ionosphere, mm-hmm. 90,000 feet plus. And um, obviously, so, you know, when they were flying over Western Supermare, they would also be flying over perhaps parts of France as well. And, you know. I mean, so. Interesting, though, isn't it, that you're talking about 90,000 feet plus. Yeah. Um, which isn't all that high if you consider that that guy, uh, Mr. Baumgarten, who's just leapt out of a plane... Um, from 100,000 feet, wasn't it, and went uh, supersonic. I mean, that that was where he was. Yeah, I, I watched the video to try and see if I could see anything. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you something? So did I. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, right. Um, and, and I didn't see anything, I don't know about you. No, no, I, didn't, I couldn't catch okay. anything on that one. But um, So we saw those, and um, yeah, so that was cool. Uh, Ed, as I said, stayed with me for a few days, and I sent him, um, I took him, and sent him, I took him to... Um, to see a few of the uh, relics around, you know, uh, Stonehenge and, and so on and so forth, um, which he was really pleased about. But yes, these these night visions were so much better, and you can imagine what the Generation 4s must be like if mm. Generation 3s are that good. Which, again, are illegal in the UK, yeah, I presume. Oh, absolutely. Um, I uh, when you went to Stonehenge, by the way, I was there quite recently, um, did you try and um, observe from there? Yeah, we did. That's right. That's one of the reasons we went there. Okay. Um, I didn't catch anything that night, but a friend of mine a few weeks later did see some lights ascending from the sky. So there is stuff going on around there, but unfortunately I wasn't uh, a witness to that. We mentioned the Gary McKinnon case. Um, That's had very serious consequences for Gary, uh, which are ongoing consequences. Do you worry about the possible consequences of what you might have discovered for Um, you? Yes, I do. It does go through my mind. I mean, Ed Grimsley in America, he's been um, approached, shall we say, um, because he had a video that he wanted to show of a craft firing um, a laser at another craft, and he was told under no circumstances was he to to show it. So he didn't. You've got videos, though, haven't you? Yeah, I've seen a video myself, Mm. but he won't show it. He's not allowed to show it to any of his... But but haven't you got some of your own videos from this country? Yes, I have. Yes. And and what about those? Any problems with those? No, I... Last Saturday, it was a week's day, um, I was there doing a conference. I was the last speaker of the day, and um, basically I, I've got footage of um, some lasers coming down into a lady's garden. To cut a long story short, um, I did a program last year on TV called Rich Planet TV, and uh, one of the gentlemen from the audience had been up to the Leeds um, conference the, um, the week or two weeks before, Exopolitics, Oh, that was the one that Richard Hoagland was at. Yeah, That's yeah, right, yeah. yeah. But there was a lady there in the audience who was basically in tears because she, she lives in Devon and she was seeing all these things coming down into her garden. So she met this, um, this friend of mine. And um, so after I did the show with Richard, he came and talked to me in the car park. I said, look, Richard, I've got this lady, you know, seeing a load of stuff in her back garden. Um, if I give you a phone number, would you give her a ring? I said, yeah, of course. So I phoned her. I was on the phone to her for about an hour. She was telling me all these things since the 6th of July, uh, sorry, 6th of uh, November. 
2010, so it was a Saturday. She was looking out of her bedroom window watching a firework display that was going on, and she started seeing these um, craft, basically similar to what I see through night visions, but with her own eyes. And they were coming down into her garden. Now, she has got a lot of uh, area. She's got 21 acres of land. She's got a massive big house, so she has a lot of land. But she wasn't before this an observer of the sky? She didn't even believe in UFOs. She wasn't even interested in them, had no interest whatsoever. The lady's in her late 60s, a lovely lady, but she's not interested in them at all. I presume she is now. Well, she's got no choice because she says she sees them everywhere. Mm. They land in her garden, apparently. She sees the ETs. She's she's, hang on, she sees ETs? Yes, she sees them. Um, she's described them to me, what they look like. Well, look, off, off the air, or uh, send me an email. Let me know who this is, because I would be keen to talk to her. Of course, yeah, of course, absolutely. Um, and, but, and what um, are you, I mean, you, did you say you've talked to her? Yes, well, I went down there and stayed the night. Okay, and um, uh, um, just give me your impressions then. What did you think right, of her? Right, okay. Um, she said, I can see lasers coming down in my garden now, Richard. Look, 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 because we were at the front of her property. It was about half nine at night. I saw nothing. I went and got my night visions, because obviously I took those with me. I saw nothing. Now, this was worrying me. I wasn't seeing anything night visions. Um, the only thing I didn't do on my night visions, I didn't switch to infrared, because if you do that, it saps the batteries, and I needed it for later on in the night. So I had a camcorder with me, which, of course, has got infrared night shot on it, so I used that, and there they were. And I could not believe it. They weren't there when I looked with my own eyes. They were there through the camcorder. It was almost as if... I put a tape into the camcorder and was playing a tape from somewhere else. But it was a blank tape, it was brand new, and I hadn't even started recording. I was just literally looking through the camcorder, so of course she started recording. And I recorded for about 20 minutes, and these lasers were flying down from the sky. I would say um, she, she's got trees in her garden, those fern trees are really tall, and they were above the fern trees. So unless there was a gentleman hanging from a helicopter with a laser pen flying down onto a property, there was no way you could um, implicate it. And so, look, you're, there's increasing these days, of course, uh, we certainly have them here in London. The police make great use of helicopters, yeah. and they're all, they always seem to be chasing somebody around here at night, um, mm. and they have lights of various kinds. Are you absolutely sure that that's not the kind of thing that you were seeing? Absolutely. I, mean, I can show you. I can send you the video if you like. Um, no noise, no nothing. It was a drizzly night. It had been raining. Absolutely silent. Um, and it wasn't a searchlight. It was a laser beam, if that, if that makes sense. Um, in other words, when you zoomed um, out from the picture, so you saw it from your um, as if you could see it with your eyes, which of course you couldn't, it was a very thin beam. You know, when you fire a laser pen, I know you shouldn't do this, but when you do fire a laser pen at night, it's like a very thin beam. It was just like that. Mm. But when you zoom in, of course, it gets a lot thicker. Mm. And at the top of the beam, there's like a plasma. It looked like a little plasma ball, and it was dancing around really erratically. And there was three of them as well. It wasn't one, there was three. And then after about 15 minutes, they moved around to the back of the property. It was so bizarre. But you could not see them with your naked eye, only through the camcorder. But this lady could see them. Because she even said, look, Richard, she told me where to point the camcorder. It is unbelievable. There's no way you can fake that. I mean, there's absolutely no way you could fake it. So I was blown away by this, obviously. Um, and in the morning, I went out to have a look to see if there was any scorch marks uh, where the lasers had landed. There wasn't. But I'll tell you what there was. There were holes in her garden. And they were uh, 45 degree angle, a couple of inches across, going exactly five inches down, because I measured it. And the holes were beautifully made. I mean, it was like glass. The mud was so smooth, uh, on, if you can imagine it, it's, like, it's just like glass looking down into it. And um, so, so if we're to believe this, what we're looking at is something that has almost like the precision of um, a surgical instrument. That's right. 
being apparently, by the looks of it, on the face of it, being fired from somewhere in near space. Yeah, there were like acorns lying around. They were like literally laser cut. I mean, you couldn't even try it with a sharp blade. You could do it, but it wouldn't be perfectly like that. And did you keep any of those dissected acorns? I've got them in my bedroom now, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I took them home with me. Now, if I were you, the problem being, you know, an ordinary Joe getting involved in these things is it's very hard to get access to to people with real expertise. I'm talking about scientists, military people, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Have you or do you plan to do that? Yeah, I do. Um, In fact, um, I've tried to get a couple of guys from America to come over. Ed Grimsey knows. And um, we're going to sort something out. We're going to definitely sort something out. But there is a, a snag to this little story. There's an American lady who now lives in this country, and um, she's stopping people from going around to this lady's house. Unless you pay about £100 to stay the night there. Well, you know, we, um, I don't know about that. Is she a friend of this person? If well, she's yeah, acting as yeah. her agent, then there's nothing wrong with that. No, there's nothing wrong with that, absolutely. But, um, yeah, it just seems that um, all of a sudden it's gone from, yeah, come on down, you know, um, try and find out what's going on here, to making it a sort of a, a business. But, yeah. That um, I wasn't too happy with, but uh, I, so I wanted to go down again, of course, because I wanted to finish off um, trying to figure out exactly what was going on, because there were other strange marks in her garden as well. Uh, it looked like something had landed. And as far as she, you talked to her, you stayed there. As far as she told you, has she tried to get the answer to this? Has she tried talking to the you know the local um, RAF Air Force yes, command? I, she hasn't done that, I don't think. Um, but she has. Um, she's been to a doctor, obviously, because she thought she was going crazy. She's um, she's talked to other ufologists, she's talked to people in the know, and um, she has had someone else come down and stay before I did, in fact. Um, and uh, he got some amazing footage as well of um, what looked like a craft landing in a back garden. I've seen the video, it's, it's amazing. But, um, but what all of this implies, Rich, is something that I've heard other people talk around, but never as clearly as this, mm. that there is some kind of battle being fought on a level that is above us, literally, and, and metaphorically above us. And That's whether right. we're part of this battle or not, we yeah. can't really be sure. No, and it's, and it's hidden in the infrared spectrum or it's hidden in the digital part of the, you know, we're, we're, our eyes can't pick it up. But if you, if you just watch a television program like Top Gear or something like that, you'll see stuff flying around. And if you whiz back on your, on your Sky Plus and pause it, you, you'll see little spheres. Sometimes they're birds, obviously, or debris from the ground, but there are stuff flying around. I mean, even, even TV cameras pick them up, but they're in between frames and you've got to know what to look for. But yeah, they're out there. Whether you're looking through night visions, whether it's from a TV camera, I mean, if you went outside now and you got your cell phone and you took off about five shots in the blue sky, I can guarantee you that after a while you'll pick something up. Well, yeah, um, and, and I've done that quite recently in two locations, uh, one of which was Stonehenge. And you, right. know, you look at the photographs and you think, hang on, there are little specks there that look like something in formation. And because the digital camera has, what, 14 me- megapixels upwards now, the definition is pretty good. So you're able to really zoom in on it. And when you zoom into the specks, which appear to be in formation, in my case, they were birds. Yeah, this is what you've got to be careful of. And um, I've had that happen to me too. Um, but then other times you'll zoom in and it's a perfect ball, the sun's shining off it, it's metallic, it's got form. You know, you can see it's not a bird. Other times, oh, it's a bird or it's a light aircraft or, or whatever, you know. But you will catch these spheres. They are around, they're there, they're there all the time. It's, it's just a question of being in the right place at the right moment, I suppose, when you take them. 
Um, if I got time to tell you a little story, only a few weeks ago, my brother was washing his car. He saw a helicopter go over. This again is over uphill. Um, he thought, oh, wow, because he likes helicopters. And then he saw what he thought was another helicopter coming over, and it was a classic flying disc. He took off three or four shots with his cell phone, and they're beautiful. I mean, to look at it, you'd think it was probably a fake photo because it's too good, really. And they're up there, you know. Um, what can I say? So you, hang on, you're saying that your brother in broad daylight yeah, to an took a picture of a classic UFO? Mm, literally, you know, your class, when I say classic, I mean the flying saucer. And he's not a UFO person like no. you? No, he knows what I do, but mm. when he saw it, he took the photographs because he knew I'd be interested in them. But when he first saw this second object, he thought it was another helicopter. But um, as he watched it, it, was, it seemed to be um, disappearing and reappearing. But it wasn't in cloud. It literally just seemed to disappear and reappear. So it's got a cloaking device on it, and it had problems with its cloaking device. I don't know. But he took off several shots, five in total. One of them, there isn't um, a UFO there at all. So obviously that's when it made itself disappear. And then the fifth shot, he's got it back again. You sound very sincere and very driven about all of this. What would you say to people who are going to say to me, uh, this man is either one, a hoaxer, or two, he's seen too many episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation? This is the problem I've got. And um, I was going to say this at the beginning of your program, but everything I'm going to tell you is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And obviously, you know, that's not good enough. Then what I can say to people out there is look for yourself. You know, buy a pair of night visions for a few hundred pounds, go out at night, wrap up warm, and just wait, and I can guarantee you 100% you'll see stuff that you cannot explain. Now, as far as we're aware, this is still a democracy in this country, although at the moment there would be some people who uh, might have reason to question that. Um, we all have members of Parliament, MPs representing us in Parliament. Yeah. Um, it's not just the price of gas that people can question them about. They can also go and ask questions about this. Have you ever thought of going to your local MP and say, look, here's my dossier of evidence. There's something going on here. Do you know about it? Yes, I have thought about that. Um, I've also thought about maybe the consequences if I did. I don't want to have somebody try and shut me down. I just want to... But the, the trouble is, you see, you want more publicity and you want to get this stuff out there. And I, I think it's it's useful that you do. Obviously, that's why I'm talking to you. The problem for you is that if you have peripherally found something that perhaps somebody somewhere doesn't want the world to know about just yet... You do put yourself at a certain amount of risk. Once you put your head over the parapet, there is a possibility somebody might take a shot. And, you know, I guess you have to be ready for that. Yes, I do. That's right. And um, Ed's already told me that. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. Unfortunately, it comes with the territory of doing this. But I I try not to think about that. I just want people to know what's going on above their heads. I think they have a right to know. Um, I've now seen it. uh, if I've got time, I'll tell you um, something else I've seen, which is slightly different, but it was through night visions as well. Uh, and that was um, a craft that was moving up um, vertically in the middle of the night. Again, it, was, it always seems to be around about 3 o'clock when a lot of activity happened. And then it stopped. And then again, it, it, it sort of morphed into two. So we have two of these spheres, and then it went back into one. It did this a couple of times, and I thought, okay, I'm going to watch this. This looks odd. And then a beam of light came out of it, and it came out uh, quite far, and then it stopped. Uh, And then the beam of light, this all happened very slowly. The beam of light then went back inside the craft again. And I thought, wow, what was that all about? And the next thing I know, it just fired off like the Enterprise, you know, real fast. Uh, I mean, I've never seen anything go fast, and we're talking very fast now, faster than any jet, fast. I mean, it was incredible. It was gone in a blink of an eye. I couldn't even chase it. And then there was a flash after, about 10 seconds later. And this is a clear sky, by the way, no clouds or anything. 
So I can only assume maybe that what I witnessed was a craft um, preparing for and going into light speed. That's what it seemed like to me. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we now are talking about is stuff that we just have to make assumptions about because we don't have the answers. One thing that occurs to me about it, though, is um, you could be in a situation where perhaps there is some kind of battle going on and perhaps governments on this planet we know they know more than they tell us, but perhaps they know a hell of a lot more than they tell us, and perhaps they're involved in this. And in a way, you're blowing the gaff on it. You are revealing that this thing is going on, mm. and you want people, ordinary people like myself, to ask questions about it. And I'm just wondering if that is what's going on, how useful this is. You know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. Do people really want to know that that kind of stuff is happening? Would it not cause instability? Would it not make people worry? That's true. I've talked to people and they'd rather not know, which is fine. That's, you know, that's up to them, isn't it? I mean, look, you are and I am in the camp that I would like to know. Mm. Um, But there are millions of people, I'm sure, who like their reality TV on a Saturday night um, who really wouldn't want to know about this. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are like that. I mean, you can call them blinkered or you can call them, that's, that's, you know, they're a prerogative. But um, I know I'd rather want to know the truth personally. Should the truth be let out? Maybe it would cause a lot of problems. I don't know. They could do the opposite, couldn't they? It could stabilise the planet more. I don't know. It's, um, all I do know is, is that um, I think people have a right to know what's going on above their heads. I can um, think of at least a dozen very big questions that if I were you, I would be asking. Um, yeah. What do you plan to do next? Now that you've got this dossier of information, now that you suspect that there's something going on, what do you want to do next with it? Right. Well, I want to take it to the next stage. Um, I want to try and... Uh, obviously um, get some sort of uh, website up and running so I can put all these onto the website so people can see them. And then after that, um, I think the only other thing to do is really, uh, apart from going to the government with it, is getting some sort of skywatch and getting groups of people to view, like Ed does in America, so they can see for themselves before purchasing one of these. And then maybe if we can get enough people um, to rally around, um, and the voice can be heard, then maybe the government will do something about it anyway. Um, but it's already started. I've got people from all over the world that send me stuff that I've recommended, you know, using night visions and they're sending me their videos. So it's working. It's already started. And even if you don't get people trying to close you down, I mean, officials trying to close you down, right. you will get people saying, here's just somebody who's a bit deluded, who thinks he's Captain Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> I've had a computer already burned out. I don't know whether it was through some other means, but... You know, I've, I've had people um, sort of messing about with the phones. You have? Yeah, that's as far as it's gone, really. It hasn't gone. When you said you had a computer burned out, I don't... What, what do you mean? Well, what happened? The, the computer, we had a, a top-of-range Sony Veo, and the next day it just... It was... It had it. We had to get it replaced. And the whole thing had just gone completely. It was just blank screen, nothing. And did you have material about yeah. this research on there? Yeah. That's when I was first started doing it. Got to back up your data. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, of course, I've learned that now. I do that. No matter how good the computer is, and, you know, I I had a Vio for years. It was wonderful. Um, My Vio was fantastic, but I always backed up my data. Yeah. But but again, like you, you learn this the hard way, as I did. That's right. It's only when you lose all your documents and all your records that you think, oh, my God, what have I done? So that's why I've bought um, external disks. I've, um, yeah, that's the best thing to do. Um, uh, Nick Pope, um, I, I noticed you've interviewed. He's yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Nick Pope because he would be yeah. the first person I would go to. Well, funny enough, I was just going to say that to you. That's who I've already been to. Uh, he was the first person. 
I went to. Um, and was he interested? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. He was very good to me. I mean, I've speaking to Nick since 1996 on the phone when he used to work for the MOD. And um, last year I did a conference in Swindon, Weird 11, and he was there. And um, so I met him for the first time. And um, and we just have to say for our listeners um, who may be new to the show, lots of people joining the show all the time, Nick Pope is a man who used to work as a UFO investigator or verifier or researcher for the Ministry of Defence here. He's now an independent consultant working on these matters. So, you know, he is a man who knows. Sorry, carry on with the story. That's right. And uh, he has he actually now moved to America but he still um, does conferences over there and, and stuff like that, and occasionally he comes over to England, uh, which he did this time. And um, I told him about the experiences, and he said just to keep up with it, basically. But he said to me that he needs somebody back at the MOD doing what I used to do, because obviously he, he used to you know, look after all the files and everything. But I don't know if you know this, um, they sort of closed it down now. Well, they did, and the British government has been releasing some of that information, but you know, a lot of material in that has been redacted, taken back, they, declared um, secret. They've moved up to the top floor, mm. and what they're doing is they're filing everything and then just bringing stuff out every now and again. But mm. he says it needs somebody like me to go back in there and sort it all out. Mm. So I, um, he said, why don't you do it? <laughs> well, you'd have <laughs> well, to. Well, yeah. I think with the state of the British government's finances right now, you'd have to do it for free. That's right, exactly. <laughs> and I don't know if I, if I work for the MOD, but that would be a good idea. Hey, what look, I do. Nick Pope, on the many occasions that I've talked to him, both on this show and on the radio, um, mm. he's always said that the one thing about UFO reports is that the vast majority of them have a rational explanation, and a very small percentage of them don't. Yes, that's right. He does. Um, he, he takes credit a lot from pilots. He, he likes the stories that pilots give because obviously they know the skies. They're used to looking into the sky and seeing stuff and knowing what they are. So when they see something they can't explain, obviously that's, you know, that's good because that means they basically can't explain it. Um, so um, and I, I think you'll find a lot of pilots are seeing these things up there, but it's getting to a stage where they're just not bothering to report it anymore. Um, from a dossier I read recently, uh, a lot of pilots see UFOs, they, they don't even report it. So it's sort of going without mentioning now, which is um, a shame. But, I mean, look, I have to say that I've flown many, many, many times down to South Africa um, on various airlines. And I've all, I always love that flight because you, you go over Central Africa and literally over Central Africa, there are a lot of countries that are not as developed as ours there. So they don't have the infrastructure, the great big industry, the lights that we have. And in the middle of Africa, you can look out and I do. And it's completely dark. I mean, totally, right. completely dark. And the only light you see is the stars. And over the, how many years is it now? 18 years or so that I've been flying backwards and forwards up and down there uh, to see that place because as a you know tourist, I love it. Um, I've always looked and I've always hoped. In fact, in the days when you were allowed to stand in the cockpit, a couple of times I went up front with the guys and uh, you know looked and they said, in the middle of Africa, I don't know whether it's changed now, but this was certainly 10 years ago, the only communication that they have is shortwave radio because there's no... You know, they don't have the infrastructure. Maybe they've got satellites now. But you really are on your own. It's completely dark. And the planes communicate with each other by flashing lights. So a plane going the other way up to London or, you know, to Paris, whatever. And if you're going down to Johannesburg, the other plane will pass underneath you and they'll flash their headlights like cars do at right. each other. But I've, I've stood there in the days when you were allowed to on the flight deck and I've looked up and I've peered, hoping to see something, and I never have. And I've concluded that I'm just one of those people who's never going to see anything. But you're saying there's a technology that might allow me to um, to get in the game. Yeah, absolutely. If you, um, during daytime, for instance, if you just recorded five minutes, 
out of your window uh, on your phone or something like that. You, you never know, you may pick something up. But um, not everyone can see them with their own eyes, but there are people who can. This lady, Dan Devon, obviously has been able to now since two years, since uh, 2010. The other thing is, look, this Generation 3 and Generation 4 night mm. vision that is illegal in the UK and you can't own, mm. um, do you feel like campaigning to have that stuff made legal here? Because if they can own it in America, then there has to be a very good question to be asked as to why we can't have it here. That's right. I have thought about it, but I've heard now that they're trying to ban all night visions. Whether that's going through Parliament at the moment as a white paper or not, I don't know, but that's what I was told recently. So, um, which isn't good if that's going to happen. Um, but I well, I can that. see one argument for it. If you're a bad guy um, yeah. and you're planning to do something bad by night, you mm. know, maybe break into somewhere or whatever... Uh, it would help you massively to have some kind of technology that would allow you to see the cops coming. So I can see a reason for that. Yeah, but it would be a shame for, obviously, uh, for, my, for me, if, you know, all of a sudden they made them illegal. Well, but... the only other way to do it is to have a licensing system like you have with firearms and yeah. to register people like you. Uh, but, but how on earth do you oversee that? No, exactly. That's and the other thing is that that technology is on the streets. People have it in America. Yeah. Um, and... You know, those things, it's its flexible, isn't it? There will be people who have that technology and they know they're breaking the law and they should not be using it, we have to say. Um, they say that. It comes from um, back engineer, don't they, the, the night vision bit. A lot of people are saying that, I don't know how true that is, but they're saying that we got the um, technology from a back engineered mm. um, piece of equipment that was found, I don't know, by a crash UFO or whatever, and, and we took it from that. And that's how all of a sudden we had night visions, but... Um, Sounds to me like you want to get answers to these questions very quickly absolutely. in your mind. Um, so what, what is the next thing you're going to do? You're going to st start the website. That's one thing you have to do. Yeah, I'm going to start the website. I'm going to try and do some more talks if I can, get myself around the country. And the yeah. other thing is there must be a network of people in this country. You know, you're in contact with people in America, but there must be a network of people in the UK and in Europe who are doing what you're doing. You need to hear from them. Yes, that's right. There are. There's uh, people in Scotland, you know, all over the country, in Wales. They contact me now, which is good, because I've got the account on Facebook, which um, people are sending me stuff and emailing me stuff. And because um, I'm recommending night visions to buy, and they're buying them, and they are finding craft, and they're sending me their footage, because you can connect through these night visions, by the way, a lead that goes to um, a camcorder. Mm-hmm. And then you just put a little portable TV next to the camcorder, and basically what you see through the night visions comes out on the TV screen. So, of course, you record the TV screen, and there you are. You've got, you know, whatever you're seeing. So people are sending me these images, and um, they're fantastic. I mean, you've got, like, triangle craft. You've got stars that seem to be connected together that fly at the same uh, rate and speed. You've got stuff that morphs and changes into different shapes, and we're seeing all these, uh, as well as normal stuff. Um, even when NASA was sending the space shuttle up and you could get the live feed down from NASA, I was watching that and you, and you saw strange things flying out of the Earth and going into space. I think you need to get talking to your local MP, um, tell them that you're interested in this and see if you can get a question asked in Parliament or see if you can get some kind of answers that might help to ease your mind about all of this or, yeah. or at least increase the amount of knowledge. I think that ought to be one of your steps. But yeah, Rich Lenny, listen, very good to talk to you. I think so too. That's all right. No, thank you for please, having me. Please keep in touch. Let me know what you're up to. You know how to email me. If you can, send me that video and I will try and put it on the website, okay? I'll do. I'll send it to you this weekend. All right, Rich. Thank you very much indeed for helping us here at The Unexplained and I wish you well with your work and, you know, be careful out there.
Thank you, Howard. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> Thanks, bye. Well, a fascinating and slightly frightening thought, really, that there might be some kind of battle for this planet happening way above this planet in a realm of the spectrum that we cannot see. Unless, of course, we use night vision. Richard Lenny there doing research on that. And if he has anything new to say, of course, we'll put him back on here. And I'm going to try and put the video that he shot on the website, www.theunexplained.tv. If we can get it up there uh, via Adam Cornwell at Creative Hotspot, then we will. Thank you very much for supporting this show. Please keep the faith with it. Tell your friends about it, spread the word about it, and send me your feedback about the show. Tell me what you think about it. Tell me what I can improve about it. And if you would like to make a donation to the show, that would be fantastic, especially at this time. So that's it. More unexplained shows in the pipeline, more planning being done, so I'll get back to that. Again, thank you so much for your support, and please rejoin me for another edition of The Unexplained very soon. My name's Howard Hughes.